What a first podcast we have in store for you all today, where Bath and England star Rory McConaughey delves into the change he has experienced throughout his life, both professionally and personally. We hope this podcast leaves you feeling inspired to proactively respond to change and to encourage you to find opportunity when change inevitably happens. So here you go. Here's the first podcast of Tunnel Mentality. Welcome to Tunnel Mentality, a brand new podcast shedding a light on mental health challenges in professional sport and the coping mechanisms used by professional athletes. One of our key outcomes of this podcast is to inspire positive change within our community and hopefully educate you, our listeners, on practices that you and your loved ones can put into place and improve your own mental and physical health. My name is Tom Giles and I have my Welsh sidekick Gav here and we'll be hosting the podcast um, throughout this first series. We both work across the community for Bath Rugby to motivate, educate and inspire our community to live more healthy lifestyles. Garen, we've chosen the topic of change for the first series. Throughout our lives, we constantly experience change and now more than ever before, we of course are creatures of habit and we like to always be in control, but change is inevitable, it's something we're always going to have to deal with. Do you want to talk a little bit more about this subject and what we're hoping to achieve with this pod? Yeah, sure thing. So a lot of people naturally think of change as a negative thing. However, we want to shine change in a positive light and show people that it is in fact a beacon of hope rather than a pillar of fear. And our first guest is no stranger to change given his monumental rise from the game of sevens to the 15 aside game in such a short space of time. Our first guest is a member of the Bath rugby squad after joining the club in 2018 from the sevens circuit. There he represented England in both the Dubai and Hong Kong sevens, as well as winning the bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games for England. He also won the silver medal in the Rio 2016 for Great Britain in the Olympics. And that man is, of course, Rory McConaughey. Rory, cheers for jumping on the podcast with us today. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for having me here. <laughs> Thank you for being our first ever guest. Um, we're going to talk, before we crack on with the rest of the pod, about the subject of this podcast. We've chosen Tunnel Mentality. Um, we've chosen it because the tunnel is the last place a professional sportsman has to compose themselves and leave everything that is impacting them behind. We want to look at how you as a professional athlete, manage mental health challenges and absolutely anything else that is happening in your personal life. And it would be really kind of great to hear what your definition of tunnel mentality is, but what your coping mechanisms are to ensure that you enter that pitch for Bath Rugby with a clear head and you know that you're in the right mindset to perform. Yeah, I think, firstly, I think that tunnel mentality to me is, um, is like a fight or flight um mechanism i think when you're in the tunnel and you're you're listening to the crowd and then you you jog out onto the pitch and there's the atmosphere there's the lights and the noise um it's it's very easy to be able to to be sort of like a deer in the headlights and freeze um or you can choose to fully embrace it and use it as a motivation for your own performance and and that's what i try and do um i remember sort of early days in the sevens 
uh, coming out of uni rugby where there'd be like two men and a dog watching you to these 60,000 seater stadiums full and these finals in these foreign countries and it just it wowed me and it, it was just so exciting um, and it's just something I love. How did you cope moving from that enjoyment you had for sevens and you had a very successful career on the seven circuit to then all of a sudden kind of coming to Bath joining the 50-year side game and by the end of your first season being called up to England that's that's a lot to deal with uh, amazing for your career but how did that how did you deal with that change kind of the of the positives of it but also the negatives so you were in the media spotlight probably more than you ever have been yeah so I think I think actually since since the start of my career, I so from going that uni transition to the sevens, like I, I kind of fell into pro rugby by accident. Like it wasn't a plan, as I said before, it wasn't a plan of mine because if I wasn't picked up at 16, I assumed that was it. So I I done finished my school rugby, uh, did a gap year to New Zealand where I worked in a school. Um, I also played sort of men's Premier Rugby out there. It wasn't pro, but like it was a, a class standard. Um, and then went back to uni and like fully enjoyed uni for the uni experience. Like I definitely wasn't at an elite rugby or sporting university. <laughs> um, and <laughs> that'll be the first to say it as well. Like, um, but like loved sort of the social side of it. We played rugby, but we used to get beaten by sort of bar thirds on a regular basis. <laughs> and uh, like, but I, I did a, like, I was obviously pretty decent. Managed to play local club rugby for Nuneaton, then went to play for Hartbury RFC on a Saturday. And then during that time, played for England and, and GB students in sort of 15s and 7s. Um, and so I was going into my final year at uni, uh, thinking about what my disc was going to be. I was planning on going into sort of teaching. So I was trying to work. My plan was I was going to play at Hartbury impress them enough that they wanted to keep me and then try and do sort of a teaching degree through their, through their uni there. Um, and then I, out of the blue, I got a call from Simon Amor at the sevens and said, like he'd watch me for, for GB uni sevens. Um, and if I wanted to come down for a trial, which I did, which he was like just a week and he was like, I'll let you get back to uni then. But a week turned into sort of six weeks and I was loving it. He was like, you sure you don't want to go back? I said, like, no, 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 this is great, this is great. <laughs> this is like my first experience of what professional rugby could be like. And I was training and not, not. I think I played one tournament, but I trained with sort of all these like superstars that I'd seen on TV like six months ago and stuff, being a super fan. Um, and yeah, sort of halfway through my uni, my last year at uni, they offered me, yeah, offered me my first ever professional contract. So. I, yeah, I, it literally was by accident. So since then, it was kind of like, right, I know I almost had another life before pro rugby. Like made my debut at 23, 24 for the sevens. Made my Bath debut at sort of, I don't know when it was, 27, I think. Um, so like since then, it was kind of like, right, no stone sort of unturned because I, like, I'm so like lucky to be here. I never would have thought I'd be here. So I'm just going to go at it and, and try and enjoy sort of all aspects of it, which was obviously going hard in the training sessions but and, try, and trying to be the best I could be, but also enjoying like the social aspect, make, making new mates, making memories, um, enjoying whatever the after parties, after tournaments, we're at somewhere around the world. Like, when am I ever going to experience this again? Sort of thing. It was like, I said, I joked to my uni mates, it was like a paid gap year where I used to see all these... <laughs> 
incredible cities like I'd never ever think I'd go to. Um, and I, it was kind of that kind of mindset that I brought into Bath as well. So when I eventually did leave the Sevens, um, it was kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to, Bath are the only ones that sort of took a punt at me. I'd love to say I had all the clubs out there <laughs> <laughs> after me contract, but it was only Bath. Um, and so, out, right? yeah, exactly. Um, so I, yeah, I just said I wanted to enjoy it. Like I, in my head, I was thinking, right, this first year is all going to be about learning um pick up as much info as you can and attack the next pre-season because I came in sort of like two weeks before the start of the first season it obviously went pretty well that first season um and then getting the call up from Eddie at the end like not not a chance had I ever thought I'd be anywhere near that squad like let alone on the plane to Tokyo on the plane to Japan at the end so it was literally the same, it might get boring, but it's the same mindset where I was going into camp week in, week out, knowing that some people would be sort of axed at the end of that week, new people could be brought in. So I was like, right, well, this could be my last week, so I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. Um, and then kept on doing that. It was like me and a guy called Lewis Ludlam from Northampton Saints were like, every Sunday night when we came back in, we sort of look at each other and we're like, oh, we're still here. Like, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't got, got the axe left yet. Um, and yeah, we, we did that all the way up till, yeah, the, the World Cup final. So it was, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cool in terms of that positive, positive change. Like, that's how I wanted to act about it. I think probably the first step back I had uh, was actually after the World Cup where you'd sort of almost sort of like... <laughs> touch that sort of invincibility of winning the World Cup. We didn't get it, but it was still like an incredible five and a half months. Um, and then you come back from almost a six month summer where you've gone the English and then Japan, where it's 25, 30 degrees into November, wet, wet and windy weather in Bath, sort of night games. And like, it was the first time that I'd sort of realized why people get, um, so like seasonal depression, seasonal depression, <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I like, this is this is what it's like. And I was like, oh, this is miserable. We we were on a losing run. I think we lost five games on the bounce. I I broke my hand, had another injury, and yeah, but yeah, basically ended up just miserable for a for a good couple months, and then got back into the swing of things, and then lockdown happened. So I bet it was like there when, when it was like hammering down and going, why did I leave Dubai? Yeah, <laughs> that was my first ever Prem Cup game. I think I was it was away at Newcastle. I was running out with Clarkie, and I was looking at him, and I was thinking, oh my god, like I could literally be on the plane to Dubai. Yeah, <laughs> but like I, I suppose that obviously you know in 2018 you came into. The squad as you know the new kid on the block so you know as a player um how does it feel you know reacting to in terms of change how did you as a player react to changing from being the new kid on the block to being part of the leadership team there because it's a massive you know transition from being that new that new guy here to being someone who everyone looks to yeah i think it's so much easier being the new guy um there's no there was no pressure really in my mind i knew I'd left on really good terms with the seven. So if things didn't work out, like the door was always open for me. Um, and so I kind of just went carefree with it and, and enjoyed everything about like, yeah, as, as I said, like the rugby, of course, but also the social side and getting to know everyone at the club. Now, obviously being in that leadership group, it is definitely, uh, 
I, I don't feel I hold myself to high standards because I feel like I've always had quite high standards of myself, um, like quite diligent professional and stuff. So, um, but it is like, there is an added pressure on, on you performing every week, um, whether it's on the pitch or around the club, sort of setting those standards for other people. And I think the main thing is trying to bring people up to those standards. I think it's not letting sort of pockets slip and because it like, you know, it can, we always spoke about it at the sevens, that one, especially in that kind of environment where you go around the world, it's like one bad egg can, can be toxic mm -hmm. for the group. And if it spreads then you know, it, it, it can be seriously toxic. So it's just making sure that we are all sort of living through our values and, and pushing everyone to be the best we can be because then it will translate into success on the pitch. One thing for me, just sitting here, and I think it will benefit the listeners today, like one overriding emotion I get listening to your journey, and it is a remarkable journey, kind of where you look at that last three year period, you've done it with a smile on your face and you genuinely enjoy what you do. You, you said like about your uni days, you still enjoy rugby just as much now as you did back then. I, I look at what effect COVID's had and look at the change that that's brought about. I think now more than ever, people are looking to enter their careers and really thinking about enjoyment. And I, I just think, I, I look at your journey and I just, I genuinely think those doors have been open because you've enjoyed it and you've wanted to put the hours in because you know that ultimately you love this sport and it puts a smile on your face. I mean, what advice do you have for listeners right now who potentially will be going to work every single day dreading it because they just do not like the career that they have. It's not where they want to be by this age. I think a lot of mental health problems can be stemmed from the fact that people feel like they're behind their plan, their kind of plan by 30, plan by 40. Um, I just think, I think your kind of journey is one that a lot of people can take advice from because yes, doors have been open and you've had this amazing journey. You are where you are now because of your talent, because of your hard work. But I also genuinely believe a lot of that's because of how much you enjoy the sport. And I mean, you wanted to get better because of that enjoyment. Yeah, I think, I think obviously I like, I enjoyed it because I was, as I said, like, I was a super fan growing up. Like, I absolutely loved it, watched it. It's, it's obviously very different to someone, like I don't know how many kids grow up thinking, I want to be a businessman. I'm desperate to be in business or in finances. Like I, it just, it's not the same. Um, but I, I, I don't know, I guess I've, I've listened to loads of podcasts from, you know, from people that have had that sort of light bulb moment when they sat at their desk and thinking, I hate my job, but I'm here to get a paycheck and that's it. And the day they walk out and sort of, I guess it's cliche saying follow their dreams, but actually go and do, do the thing they really want to do um, is a huge change in their life. And it's, it takes a lot of courage to do. Like I couldn't imagine how much courage it could take. Um, but yeah, I, th I think, as I said, it's very easy for me to say, I enjoy my job most because like, like it, it is, people do it. The amount of people that do this amateurly and do it every week because they enjoy it. Like I'm getting paid for it. It's, it's very different to, I don't know, working in an office for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I'd always say like enjoyment is the factor and knowing what you want to get out of it. Like if, if you are 
if it is money motivation, then there's no slight on that. Like there's nothing against that at all, but you know, it's, it might not be as enjoyable, but if you're doing it for financial gains and it's that, but yeah. it's, it's what you want to get out from it. Um, I think that's the main thing, knowing, knowing sort of, yeah, why you're doing that job. We've had hundreds of community kind of player Q and A's and every single player, and I've, I've had them across three sports in my career. Every single player says, I'm sorry to be cliche, but genuinely, if you want to be a professional, start with the enjoyment, just enjoy the moment, mm -hmm. enjoy being your mates. And Gav, you would have seen that kind of to every single community club you go to in school. That's what we're trying to install is that rugby can inspire people to make changes in their life, not just in the sport, but you have to enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoyment certainly is, has got to be the focal pillar of why you actually play any sport or do anything. You know, we recently had um, some camps during half term where we interacted with over 700 children. And that for me showed not only the appetite for rugby is still there, but also the enjoyment. And to have all those kids across all those camps, just there enjoying rugby, enjoying being with their mates, enjoying learning a new skill, you know, as a coach, it's what you do it for. You know, and as a player, it's, it's what you're there for. To and I can sense the passion that you've got. Yeah. Like that genuinely, you just even saying like that you coach 700 kids. Yeah. I, that, that's your enjoyment. You want to change lives. You want to inspire people to lead more physical, like active, active lifestyles. I can sense that your enjoyment's there. Oh, yeah. And I think, I mean, how important is that that you turn up to work on a Monday morning? You genuinely want to be there. Because you've had moments on Monday mornings where it's pouring down with rain, you've got to deliver kind of a session, tag session to 30 screaming children. Like you need the enjoyment for your role. And the same goes to Rory, same goes to myself. You need that motivation to get you up on that Monday morning. Yeah, because if you turn up, and it's like, it's, it sounds obvious, but if you turn up and you're like, oh, all right, kids, we're wet today. And we're going to do this jogger on the pitch, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to, you're not going to basically sell yourself to them, okay? Um, and then you've got no buy-in from them whatsoever. So you have to literally turn up, smile on your face, and you have, to, you have to enjoy it. Otherwise, like I said, why would you do anything if you didn't enjoy it? And there are, there are bad moments. I mean, that's important for us to say on this as well. And listeners will be listening to us and thinking, right, okay, yeah, I enjoy my job, but I have really bad days. And Rory, just kind of moving to you, like you've recently just been told that you probably most likely going to miss the rest of the season um that's a step back like isn't it that's obviously impacted you will impact your personal life will impact your frame of mind how do you deal with that how do you deal with the bad moments and the bad days um i think i think probably most players will will deal with it similar sort of those 48 hours afterwards you just you're so pissed off like at the end of days like every rugby player and they'll say it but they it is true. I hate injuries. Like all we want to do is play out there. Like the buzz that you get from a game is is nothing. Yeah, there's nothing like it really. Um, so to know that you can't do that and you can't be involved with all the guys that you train and and get along with, and you can't be out there on a match day, like really does hit home and hit hard. Um, yeah, obviously for me, like that being told, sort of like you're going to miss the rest of the season. You're just like oh, like you can't then have an impact on the pitch to help us be as successful as we can. Um, and that's really, that's really gutting. But I think it's just no sort of take it as an opportunity of what, 
what else can you do around the club um, to help, like, to help us still be successful? So, whether it's for me, I'm doing a bit of like sort of mentoring with some of the younger players, or whether it's trying to really understand sort of the coaching methods now a bit more and and challenge the coaches off the pitch um, and making sure that sort of we try and raise our standards as players, but also we're all on the same level here. We want to, we don't want the coaches to drop their standards as well. So it's, I think it's just, it's a, it's a time and it's an opportunity to sort of grow yourself and grow your knowledge around the game and what, what helps make a successful club and team. Um, but then some people will take it as an opportunity to sort of grow themselves outside of rugby. So whether it's doing work experience, whether they're, a lot of guys are still doing uni courses on part-time, so whether it's actually a, one of the best opportunities they'll get to actually crack down on that and, and finish it on time rather than yeah. get the club to phone in and give them excuses <laughs> as to why they're, why they're handing it in late. Um, so yeah, everyone's different. Um, but yeah, that, those were sort of my, my ways of getting around it. And of course, injuries are part of sport like that all of you guys have to deal with. So I, if I had a serious injury on a Sunday afternoon for a local side, that doesn't impact my role, which puts food on the table, which kind of, which I get paid to do. And Gab's the same in terms of a serious injury wouldn't impact your kind of lifelong goals. Whereas for you, it's very different and for teammates. How do you deal with that in terms of preparing for change? We've talked about change that kind of hits us instantly, but how do you prepare for that change that potentially one afternoon you could have a kind of career-ending injury? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, you know, we're, we are promoted, uh, promoted we are um, sort of supported by, by like the RPA and pushed to... Uh, to to give the opportunities of sort of insight days or further education or different career paths that we might enjoy post rugby um and i think they do a very good job in that to be fair um i think there's definitely a lot of opportunities out there for us as rugby players it's more can you find the time and look i i'm not going to tell people that they should they should find the time for it because there's you know there's always going to be a career after rugby um, but like I fully appreciate, you know, those that have young families, they're trying to get in the team every week. Maybe they're playing international rugby as well. Like there's a lot of pressures and a lot of time-consuming pressures there. That actually, it's it is quite hard to be able to focus on life after and trying to get out of the now um, because we're always, you know, you're you're encouraged to feel more present and, and worry about the now and attack the now rather than thinking about the future and getting worried about that. But, you know, it's, we ain't going to be playing all our lives. Um, it's probably, you know, you're looking just after 30, if you're lucky, and then any year after that's a bonus. So, um, now, I, I'm obviously lucky enough to have that sort of life before rugby in terms of that university degree, which I've got locked down, and, and that does help a lot. Um, and then just trying to basically do different things and, and figure out, figuring out what it is that I want to do post rugby like if it's your level two level three rugby coaching or a few of us are doing our personal training courses like you might just fall into something that you actually never thought of and and love and and want to pursue that so it's just keeping an open mind but also knowing that it could end tomorrow um and yeah we've got to be at least half prepared for it one topic we wanted to talk about today Rory is social media 
and the positive, but also the negative impacts of that. And it's very topical because of the draw of the line campaign that's just been and gone. Um, how important do you think it is for us as a brand and professional athletes with influence over young people um, and our fan bases to, to continue the conversation about online hate and educate around the fact that this is a, this is a form of bullying and it has a huge impact on people's lives? Yeah, I think I think the main one there is is that education and just around the effects that it it can have on people. Um, especially you know, especially especially young kids today. Like I was, I was very lucky when I was growing up. I was probably in that middle generation of it wasn't no social media. It was the start of it, so I never really had the full effect. I think I probably got my first Instagram account like the year I joined the seven. So. Um, like it is all, it is all quite new to me. Um, but what, yeah, what I probably, yeah, as we said, like focusing on that education, like, like players will always read, um, read like aftermatch stuff and you'll always see stuff like however many fans think they can just comment like under a post from the club saying he wasn't good enough. He was like, why is he being picked? Like players do see it and it's just, just having a think of like why are you putting like, why are you commenting it? Like, what 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 are you getting out of that comment that's gonna change anything? Because the coaches don't read them. <laughs> it's it's purely yourself venting your frustrations at a poor game, which is fair enough. If you're if you're angry at us losing, then you're angry. But like the players are always giving it as as much as they can, and like the effort is always there. And that's on any side. This isn't just me. Backing up Bath, this is I'd say across any any professional rugby side, and I do see these comments like you see it from other games, like you see a game highlight or something come up on on your Twitter feed, and then you see the comments underneath, and people are just like going in at others, and you're just thinking, what what are you getting out of this? Like, and like although a lot of players will be completely fine with it and will brush it off because they know it's just an angry person sat in their own in their room just venting like others will take it to heart and especially as a young player growing up you obviously see these other sports stars on on their instagrams or twitter with, with however many followers and they're desperate to be them but if they're seeing their name getting slagged off under a comment then it's just going to have a negative effect um i think it's probably tougher on that's just from a player point of view but i think it's, it's definitely tougher these days you know kids going through school um you know back Back when I was at school, I think, you know, if you were, if there was bullying around, however, you know, how terrible that is, people could escape it after school hours. But now these, these kids are, are going home, they're going online and they're getting bullied there. So I just think it's, it's a seriously tough environment. And I, I honestly don't know the answer. Um, I don't know what, what the right way is. I've heard lots of people talking about you know, ID when you come on social platforms, I think that even though that might work out well in our country, you can't enforce that in other countries around the world where people potentially can't have their political views or anything pop up, otherwise they're put in jail sort of thing. So I don't know, that's not another tangent, but <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I don't know the, I don't know the right answer. I don't know the wrong answer, um, but I do feel uh those people need to be educated and the companies that own those social media sites need to be held accountable for for any bullying that there is on there
I mean that. I mean you saying that you don't know the right answer, you don't know the wrong answer. That everyone's in that position at the moment. I think even sport, you can see by the campaigns that have just happened across Premier League, Premiership rugby, etc. Like we've gone with this blanket kind of social media ban. Like whereas some people and Jordan Henderson's a great example. He's used his accounts to educate, and he said that he seriously contemplated deleting every account. But he actually thinks that he has a duty because of his influence and because of his millions of followers to educate. So he handed his accounts over to, I think it's CyberSmile or charity uh, to educate. I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it. And I know you sometimes post kind of shout statistics on your social. Have you contemplated deleting yours and standing up? Or Yeah, I've definitely contemplated deleting Twitter a few times. Um some sometimes I found it as just like a cesspit, like I just couldn't see any positive comments coming out of it. Um, but then you actually look at other people, and Twitter is probably their main source of news nowadays. Like you don't actually don't how much do you use BBC website or, or like the newspaper websites? Like actually, if it's instant news, it's coming across your Twitter feed. Um, so yeah, I, I potentially should should reconsider and uh if i don't feel like i i'm seeing anything positive coming out of it then i will then i will delete it but um yeah i, th- I think that you know stuff that jordan henderson's doing is is class i think it is about just showing people like what impact it has and how you can help as much as possible and, and i do think that you know players and that we are like role models to the next generation so the more that we can sort of stand up and, and be counted for and, and, and voice our opinions on what we, what we believe is right um, is, is really important. Um, and just knowing how you can affect young kids with whatever you post, um, it is going to affect them in some way. So it's just being cautious of what you're trying to, what message you're trying to put out. I do think it's amplified in sports because of the tribal nature of support. Yeah. And I've, I mean, across football, rugby, I've seen some horrible stuff and I just think it's fascinating that supporters can't detach themselves and just think, look, we're actually directing this hate at human beings. Um, and I they don't know me and I don't know them. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's always fascinated me that like, for instance, I'm not in the public eye and I, I went through a traumatic experience recently that my wife and I welcomed new baby boy, which is amazing. And he got sent to critical care very quickly stop breathing thankfully he's okay now he's made a full recovery but the club were amazing with that and they just said take as much time off as you need and i genuinely did switch off i needed to because nothing else matters in the world right there and then whereas actually what we're saying to our to our athletes and i, I mean correct me if i'm wrong but in that situation i think athletes are expected to go out and perform the next week and we don't hear too much about personal lives and we actually don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And just if you could just give an example from kind of your personal life where you've had to go through a traumatic experience and actually the, support, the supporters and the wider families don't know you're going through that. So we just need to be so careful of where we direct hate and where, where we're um, kind of throwing insults and who we're throwing insults to. I just think it's so important that people have that awareness of the fact that we're everyone's going through their own problems. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'll touch on sort of my, uh, yeah, my own story behind that. But like going back to that point, I think 
in what in what other job across the world that isn't sports would you have someone uh firstly shouting in your ear whilst you're doing the job telling you how bad you are and then afterwards messaging you and tweeting about you whatever again how bad you are like if Barry worked up in, in the offices in town and had someone screaming at him all day, telling them how terribly he were, or hundreds of people screaming. I guarantee there'd be a lot more mental breakdowns <laughs> around the world. So it's, it is amazing how, as you said, it is that tribal thing of sport. It's why we do it. It's why we love it, because we're all competitive and we want to win. But I just don't know why it's so different to treat someone that way uh, in a sporting environment to a non-sporting environment. Um, but yeah, I guess going back to my story in terms of what, what, you know, what goes on in, in people's house, like it was, it wasn't very well publicized, but like people, people knew about it. I spoke to people at the time, but, uh, my girlfriend Vic got diagnosed with, uh, thyroid cancer in November, October, 2017. Um, and yeah, basically to be fair, it, like it, it was completely obviously shook her world, but shook my world as well. We were probably relatively young at the time and immature in terms of how to, how to fully react to it. Um, and Simon Amor, to be fair to him in the sevens was, was outstanding. Like I, I rang, like rang him, um, told him what it was. And he literally just said like, come in when you want. Like, don't like, this is six weeks out from Dubai. Like our first big tournament in the world series. He was like, just, pick up the phone when you want, come in when, to train whenever you want, like it's it's on your clock sort of thing. And they were so good to me. Um, and yeah, like it, it was very, it was a seriously tough time because obviously as soon as someone throws that sort of C-bomb word at you, you like it, all the thoughts that go through your head is just just the worst basically. And um, like, like touch wood, it's, it's all gone now. And she's, you know, she, had a successful surgery and successful radiation after that. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a tough old sort of almost 18 month, uh, slog where, you know, you, you realize obviously there's the physical stuff about the operation, the, the radiation, but actually the mental side behind it of the, probably the worries day in, day out, like, you know, I talked to her about it and, you know, the, the sleeping pattern that she was in for those few months and just almost the terror that it could come back any day um, is something that probably I wasn't prepared for at all. Um, and it was kind of like my survival instinct was kicking and I was like, well, like, I've just got to help her as much as I can, like not, not show, not share my emotion as much because she's the one that's suffering, not me. And that was probably the worst thing I could have done because it wasn't normal. And it was me tr over almost overcompensating for us both being down in the dumps about it and, and, and sad. Um, but yeah, if, if, I, if I was to go back and rerun that again, which I obviously never would want to, but it would definitely be about sharing my emotions more and, and opening up emotionally because I, I think probably the one thing she, she said, like I, at the time I, I was obviously with Katie Warren in the sevens, uh, she was still there. Like, uh, I probably cried quite a bit when I was talking to her, but I never cried in front of Vic, which was one big thing that it just wasn't like, why would, why was I hiding my emotion for her, but not 
but not in front of other people. Yeah. And I remember like the, the most I did cry was actually probably after um, she got out, she got into remission. Like a few months later, we do this uni uni meal um, every year with like all the partners and stuff for charity that our, our uni mates set up. And uh, like they announced it, like they were like, by the way, it's a big year. This happened, this happened. Oh, and you know, big big cancer and stuff. And I just completely lost it. Like I was, I was crying at the table, like in the front of a room, like hundred people. And like that was probably the first time. And she said to me afterwards, she was like, you know, that's the first time you properly like cried in front of me. And I was like. Like, yeah, like I wish I had shared emotions more with her, but I, th I think it probably was me being, being so new and so alien to me, trying to, trying to sort of be, I don't know, you say be strong, but trying to make everything normal, like so that it's not, not every conversation is, is sad and you're trying to make them happy and trying to get away, get around with your normal life and sort of do them proud by, by playing rugby and doing all that. And uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be my one sort of learning point from there going forward is that like sharing your emotions isn't, isn't, <laughs> isn't a weakness at all. It, it can actually massively help someone if, if they're feeling, if they're, if they're in that dark place at the time. Man, you, should, you should be really proud of yourself how you manage that because yeah. I honestly, I could not, even fathom how you would do something like that. So you should be honestly really proud with how well, you did that. And I think it's important, like, I mean, thank you for sharing that firstly. And secondly, I think just tying this back into the whole podcast in terms of what we're trying to achieve here, that was you going through and your partner going through and immense around a change in yeah. regards to how you dealt with that change. And what I find fascinating and what I think our listeners will be really interested to hear is how, in regards to tunnel mentality, how you were able to go and perform at an elite level when you had that happening in your personal life. Yeah. It's something I just can't comprehend. Yeah, and I, I think it was, like I chatted to my mum about it and she did say, I think it is kind of like a survival mentality. You just, you just do it. Um, like I remember, so they were, they were really good to me. They're like, we had the sevens again. And I, I, I went back into training because I had long chats with Vic about it. And she was like, I, like, I want to keep seeing you enjoy yourself. And as we spoke about like, I do enjoy every part of rugby and stuff. And she was like, that, that for me is normal. So I was, I went back to Dubai, played in Dubai, um, flew back the next day back to England she went under the knife and then sort of in hospital with her uh throughout the week and then which is one thing i still not sure if i sh I, I should have done and probably one thing i'd have changed was that england flew me out on the thursday night i landed in cape town friday morning and played that tournament saturday sunday and then flew back sunday night basically um and I, yeah probably if i went back again i probably wouldn't have played that tournament i think that was just I think it was me thinking, like, I, d I don't know what the right decision is sort of thing and just doing it rather than actually probably thinking it. I couldn't see Vic much because she was still recovering from surgery. But um, yes, like, I, 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 I would want to stay at home the next time if it hopefully never happens again. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, g going out. So all that time, all that time was happening. 
a month before I told Simon and, and Rocky, the, the coach, Tony Rokes, the assistant coach, that I wanted to leave, I wanted to try for 15. So during that time, that was my time sort of on trial to showcase to Bath who were interested in what I could do. So it was kind of getting myself up for those tournaments. Um, so I think I had four or five tournaments. Um, and yeah, getting myself up for them, sending clips over to Coops, who would show them to the Todd Blackadder, who was the current head, current DOR, uh, the DOR at the time, sorry. Um, and then, yeah, managed in February, I think it was February. Um, they, yeah, end of January, I think they offered, yeah, they offered the contract. So it was, it was a weird, weird time in terms of taking for performance. Yeah. But it was kind of like, you just did it rather than think about it. It is, it's interesting kind of that word turbulence in terms of the trauma that I've gone through. I genuinely felt like I was looking at myself at moments and there'll be a lot of people um, listening who've gone through trauma in the past 14 months. And the hardest thing for me is when we were at, uh, well, when Jensen, our son was um, in hospital, we weren't able to be at his bedside together because of COVID. So we had to swap a wristband outside the hospital and I saw my wife for about 30 seconds a day whilst we did the transfer. Um, and I know there's a lot of people at the moment who are just suffering in terms of they're not able to give somebody a hug. They're not able to be there and support somebody when they're going through trauma because, because of COVID. And I think everything that you've talked about in terms of you, or you're always second guessing what you did, what you do and kind of what actions you've made and, I think everyone's dealing with change in their own way. I think the coping mechanisms that you mentioned at the very beginning in terms of just making sure that people are talking to each other and communication is the key thing and making sure that you're, you're able to be there for your loved ones throughout difficult times, throughout the great times, but most importantly, throughout the difficult times. And yeah, I just, I just think everything that you just talked about is very applicable at the moment during kind of the difficult times with our listeners we're going through because it, it, you, sometimes you're always thinking am i doing the right thing am i doing the wrong thing but you're doing as best as you can yeah and i think that's the important thing to remember yeah definitely and it's, it's it is amazing as like a, as a species how much we crave human contact and you don't realize it until something like this happens and you just yeah how much you must, I, I remember going back into the club the first day and almost we were like giddy with like yeah. being able to see each other or be this far apart and like it, it was crazy and yeah you, you realize like how much as something as simple as giving a mate a hug like can do to someone um so i do yeah i do think it's massively important just knowing how much just a text to, to a mate just to see how they're doing um can mean to them at the time i mean that's the perfect way to finish um I want to thank you so much for, for your time. I hope and I know actually that the people that are listening to this podcast, they will help them. Um, and I think the stuff that we've talked about today is so important and we will continue to have this conversation um, as part of Tunnel Vision moving forward. I don't know if you want to end with anything, Gav. No, I just think the, the most important thing that we talked about today was just to educate each other and to support each other. Um, and whenever you feel down, just don't be afraid to actually speak to people and even do your own research on different to- different topics if ever you have doubts about them. And um, the greatest thing I think that we, we learned as well today is how resilient we all can be as a species and that if we all stick together, we can do it together.